Hello, this is Father John Arnold, and this is Oro Valley Catholic. Today we're talking about the mystery of the church, because that's what the gospel is about, and Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which are both uh, readings for the 15th Sunday in ordinary time. A mystery is something that's familiar to most of us, especially if you watch mystery stories on TV or you read mystery novels. If you're a fan of Hercule Poirot and Agatha Christie character, and you've watched any of the shows involving that famous Catholic detective who is not French, but Belgian, uh, you know what a mystery is. A mystery is the Lady Etheridge is found dead in her bed. How did she get that way? So there's something you see, Lady Etheridge's dead body. And then it's the story of the backstory. How did it get that way? And usually it's Hercule Poirot and his little gray cells that successfully complete that uh, story and tell the whole, unravel the whole mystery anywhere between an hour and an hour and a half. But the mystery of the church is something that's endured for 2,000 years. There is something you see in the church. You see this long history, and it's a history of great saints. It's a history of great sinners. It's a history of uh, historic arguments, starting with the First Council of Jerusalem over whether or not you needed to be circumcised before you were baptized. Did you have to become a Jew before you could become a Christian? Or did you just need to be baptized in order to be baptized into the body of Christ and to be grafted, as St. Paul says in the letter to the Romans, like a wild shoot onto a domestic olive tree. But that mystery has caused great consternation, especially amongst American Catholics recently, and a lot of it revolves around the Second Vatican Council. You know, since the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, there have been three ecumenical councils. There was the Council of Trent from 1545 to 1563. That council lasted 18 years, and it gave us the Counter-Reformation and was really the basis for the catechesis that so many of us received in the 60s and the 70s. It was the basis for the Baltimore Catechism. And then there was Vatican I, which occurred right following our American Civil War. American bishops attended it, and um, famously, it gave us the dogma about the infallibility of the Pope. Uh, one American bishop voted against that, the Bishop of Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, John St. John Henry Newman, who was later made a cardinal of the church, uh, was uh, critical of the First Vatican Council. Uh, because of the role it might play in further divisions in Christianity. Uh, but it was the council that really set up um, the papacy that so many of us have experienced, this papacy that's known worldwide, this papacy that really is a worldwide player, uh, St. John Paul's efforts to bring down the Iron Curtain probably could not have happened with a medieval papacy. Um, it was because the papacy following the First Vatican Council was really the very first time the Pope, um, after uh, the Emperor Constantine in the 4th century, the first time the Pope was really free of the entanglements of uh, secular powers, of, of kings and presidents. Um, and that led uh, St. John the Twenty Third in 1959, 
um, to say after about 10 days of thinking about this idea that he wanted to call another Vatican uh, uh, ecumenical council uh, because it was time to overcome some of the problems that the Enlightenment uh, and liberal democracies had presented for the church and uh, really to begin what we think of as the new evangelization. And so the Second Vatican Council was opened by St. John uh, the 23rd in October 1962. I believe history has noted that I was six years old at the time. And that Vatican Council closed in December 1965. John the 23rd died during the council, and St. Paul VI finished the council up. And I was nine years old, completely oblivious uh, to what was really at stake in that council. All I know is that I remember the Latin Mass. I was just a little kid. I just started out as an altar server. I was supposed to learn the Confidior, but never did. And then in the Diocese of Tucson, where I was brought up, we all switched to English. But that council gave us a dogmatic constitution on the church entitled Lumen Gentium. And dogma is teaching. And so a dogmatic constitution tells you something true about the nature of the church. And it talked about the mystery of the church, and it quoted from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which is our second reading for today. You know, the reason I want to talk about the mystery of the church is that coming out of that council, I think many of us of my generation, and I'm 65, um, remember how divided the church was, especially in the 70s and the 80s, and some of the peculiar things that crept into Catholic practice. Not everywhere, but enough to be disconcerting to Catholics. Uh, many priests left, nuns left following that council, um, inspired by the new openness that uh, they thought that there would be, they would all be allowed to marry. Um, that was at least what some of the priests of that generation had told me. Uh, was told them in the seminary, but that obviously did not happen. Um, and it was, uh, I would say for young Catholics like me, caused great concern. You wonder what the heck is going on? Because young people thrive on stability. And uh, when you have a council, in some sense, mostly, things are thrown up in the air a little bit. That's how change happens. And it's that, again, that mystery of the church. Uh, tied to apostolic tradition, but as the Second Vatican Council uh, really reminded us that we have to keep trying to understand how it, we, evolve, we evangelize a world that is constantly changing. You know, the dogmatic constitution for the church was overwhelmingly affirmed by the approximately 3,000 bishops present there, there was a small minority, I think it was something like 60 votes that opposed it, mostly centered around Cardinal Ottiavani, who John Twenty-Third had actually talked to about calling the council. He had prepared carefully the documents for that council between 1959 and 1962, but as the story goes, mostly uh, his preparation was ignored by the council fathers. But coming out of the Second Vatican Council, the divisions were really very much characterized in three ways. Concilium, which was a theological journal um, that has become much, much less um, influential, but 
uh, was influential in the 70s and the 80s where people like Father Carl Rahner uh, wrote in it or Father Skeelybeeks or Father Kung, both who uh, came uh, uh, in conflict with the Pope and the Curia later in their careers. But there was also a movement out of that council called Communio, which I still think is in publication. But um, people like Bishop Ratzinger and Bishop Karol Wojtyla of uh, Poland published in it. And both of them became uh, popes, uh, Pope St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI. Um, And both of them did so much to bring stability to the church. It's why they were so endearing to me and other Catholics. But there was also this other part coming out of the council that thought the council was a bad idea. And some of them were in the Curia and characterized by uh, people like Cardinal Ottaviani or Archbishop Lefebvre, who actually went into schism over the Latin Mass. And so here we are, uh, and that council ended in uh, 1965, and so that's getting on to 60-plus years. Uh, And uh, it's still a matter of controversy if you uh, watch YouTube. Um, There's a a group called the Rad Trad, the Radical Traditionalists, who believe that the Second Vatican Council was probably a mistake, or at least uh, large parts of it, and uh, are calling for a return, a wholesale, to the Latin Mass and some of the attitudes and postures of the Catholic Church on the eve of the Council. So the Catholic Church has been like a debating society for over 2,000 years. It's a church with great authority, but it's always an authority that is called into question on a variety of issues, LGBTQ, ordination of women, uh, how we celebrate the liturgy. It can seem so deflating at some time to so many Catholics. That's why the church is a mystery. You see, the reality of the church, a heavenly reality made present in this earth, in this time, in our experience. So let's look at what St. Paul had to say about it and how our Lord began this entire project uh, something over 2,000 years ago. Let's start by remembering uh, St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the very beginning of it. And here's how it uh, begins. Uh, This is what will be read at Sunday Mass. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, to be holy and without blemish before him. In love he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, in accord with the favor of his will, for the praise of the glory of his grace that he granted us in the beloved. In him we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of transgressions in accord with the riches of his grace that he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will in accord with his favor that he set forth in him as a plan for the fullness of times to sum up all things in Christ in heaven and on earth. And so for St. Paul, the mystery of the church doesn't begin 2,000 years ago. The mystery of the church in that first sentence is rooted in God. It's his eternal plan uh, when uh, the world is created. That it's about his desire to pour out his grace 
on his creatures. And that through his son, Jesus Christ, we become adopted sons, just like natural sons by the power of grace. And it's through the redemption by our Lord's blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions, the grace he pours out on us that we can see in the saints, the sacraments, the scriptures, and in wisdom and insight, he's made known to us, and this is the quote, the mystery of his will in accord with his favor. And it's St. Paul that calls, calls the church a mystery. He uses the same term for the sacraments. You know, the word sacramentum is the Latin translation of the Greek mysterion because all the early, all the scriptures were written in Greek. And they were translated into the Latin vernacular by St. Jerome for the first time, um, almost four centuries, three centuries plus, after they were, uh, after they were written by the early apostles, who all uh, read scriptures in, in Hebrew or in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew. But it's these realities, God's sacred word, and that was the uh, Vatican Council's document on Dei Verbum, on what the meaning of Scripture is. It's the mysterions, which we call baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, and the other saints, including the anoint uh, the other sacraments, including the anointing of the sick. Uh, and it is the church. The church is a mystery. The church is a sacrament, a present reality that makes present in time a heavenly reality. There's two ways to look at the church. Uh, and this is really based on how you understand uh, St. Paul's uh, letter to the Ephesians. One way, and it's the wrong way, is uh, in uh, the church would teach that the church is an earthly institution that will end up in heaven. That is, it's a group of believers and we cooperate together. And, and if we all play our cards right, and we cooperate with God's grace or by God's grace alone, depending on what kind of Christian you are, um, you'll end up in heaven. It, it's not the, the right way to look at the church because it, then it's not even a mystery. It, it's like Buddhism. It's just um, a bunch of believers. There's a bunch of different ways. And if you do it right, you got to go to heaven. That is not what the church is. According to Paul, it's a mystery. It's a heavenly reality, always intended by God, that the church is this heavenly divine mystery present here on earth. And so you probably learned, if you were catechized, according to the Baltimore Catechism, that this is still what the modern catechism that St. John Paul XXIII issued during his pontificate is that when we think of the church, it is not just us at St. Mark's or even us Catholics or all baptized Christians here on the planet. The church is the church militant, the church suffering, and the church glorious. The church militant is us. Uh, we are working out our salvation in fear and trembling, as St. Paul would say it. The church suffering, it's the church uh, being purified, both on in this world and the church being purified in purgatory. I had two Protestant friends I had dinner with who were great people, but they were genuinely surprised that the church still believed in purgatory. Um, the idea, I think, with some Protestants is that you die and you go to heaven. But the whole understanding of the purgative way 
is that to really understand God, we got to get past the own the, the sin in our life, and we need to, in order to completely love God, we have to understand Him. That's the illuminative way, and that complete union with God is really uh, the divine reality, heaven. When we're at the church glorious, that is the church in union with the Holy Trinity in heaven. Um, it's really the story of Dante's Divine Comedy. If you've ever had the chance to read that tremendous uh, medieval poem about the nature of the church, uh, the church militant in, on earth, the church suffering in purgatory, and the church glorious in heaven. But the gospel also talks about the roots of how Christ brought all nations into the blessing of Abraham. To remember in God's plan, he called Abraham and told him he would give him a land. He'd make his descendants more, more numerous than the stars in heaven. Couldn't even count them. And he'd be a blessing on all nations. Isaiah talked about um, the people of Israel being a blessing on all nations. And so St. Paul, a Pharisee, became a radicalized disciple of Christ um, because he saw Christ as the divine reality present uh, in humanity that had sent him out to call the Gentiles into union with the work that God had begun before creation. And that is the mystery that St. Paul is talking about in Ephesians. It's a divine mystery because God has uh, given us the church. It's a human mystery because as we try to uh, participate in this divine mystery. Uh, our humanity still needs to be purged. It needs to be clarified. It needs to be made holy. That's why Jesus came. He came to reconcile us to God, which St. Paul talks about. He came to show us the pattern of holiness um, that God had made for human beings. He came to show us in his suffering on the cross and his work to redeem us, how much he loved us. And he came to show us the reality of what it would be like to participate in this divine reality. The incarnation, God present in humanity, humanity. the church, God present in humanity. And it's why our, our blessed lady is um, the mother of the church because she is... Uh, that sign that uh, God uh, predestined uh, to be the one who bore her son into this world. And so the church, what's its job in the evangelization? To be Christ in the world. And that is what the gospel is about. So in the gospel, which this Sunday is from the gospel of Mark, it's chapter 6, and we, we followed Mark, uh, Mark's story of Jesus, the kingdom of uh, God is at hand, that um, the prophecies are fulfilled. Repent and believe. Uh, change how you think about things. Believe in the one that God has sent. And so if you look at his pattern in those first five chapters of Mark, he goes from this town to the next town to the next town. He gives everybody the chance to accept or reject him. In fact, last Sunday, he goes to his own town of Nazareth. And what do they do? They reject him. So what does he do? He moves on. And it leads us to the gospel for today. And in the gospel today, he summoned the 12, 12 tribes. Solomon had 12 advisors. Jesus reconstitutes 
both the 12 tribes of Israel and he reconstitutes the, the kingdom of David. When he gets his 12 and he sends them out and look at what he tells them to do in the gospel. He instructs them to take nothing for the journey but a walking stick, no food, no sack, no money in their belts. They were to wear sandals, but not a second tunic. Then he said, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave. Whatever place does not welcome you or listen to you, leave there and shake the dust off your feet in testimony against them. So they went off and preached repentance. The 12 drove out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. And so who does that sound like? Jesus just travels with basically the clothes on his back. He goes to a town and he calls for repentance and belief. If they accept them, uh, they baptize, and then he moves on to the next town. If they reject them, he just leaves like he did with that, uh, Nazareth. And so he's sending out the 12 because he's been teaching them how it is that they're to evangelize. So they'll just do what Jesus did. And so he gives them power as a sign. They can cast out demons and they'll heal with oil. Doesn't that sound familiar? Like the anointing of the sick and the church's um, ministry of exorcism and deliverance prayers, which the church still does. And um, we do that in baptism. We do an exorcism of all children in baptism. So these are the apostolic traditions of the church. It's why the religious are called to um, a life of poverty. We always say in the uh, uh, diocesan priesthood, diocese priests don't take a, um, a vow of poverty like Franciscans, Dominicans, and Jesuits do. Instead, we say we just live it because it's a very simple life. Uh, generally, you never own a home. Um, you uh, are paid. I think it's a fair wage, but it's a modest uh, wage. You're expected to provide uh, for your own retirement needs. Uh, but it's this simple life that really depends on the people of the parish to support you. The diocese, like in the annual Catholic appeal, is only supported by the willingness of devout Catholics to support the work of the church. And so Jesus sends out the church to do exactly what he did in simplicity, power over demons, power over illness, um, and uh, in this sign to begin to spread the gospel. And here we are uh, 2,000 years later after those first apostles went out and they had the successes that they had and they had the failures that they had. It's also how, what we should expect of the new evangelization. We'll have some ex uh, successes, will have some failures. You know, uh, Jesus called them apostles because the Greek word apostolos means to be sent. Uh, but the apostles were sent with this authority over demons and to heal. Um, and so this first evangelization, uh, which was the root of everything that's followed in Catholic history, gave us the mystery of the church um, that some people accept and believe. Others reject. It goes right back to those early witness of how people accepted or rejected Jesus and how Christ just moved on. Um, and so that when we look at the church and we talk about the church as both uh, a church that is guided by the scriptures and the apostolic tradition that goes back to the time of the apostles, but also a church 
that is always looking at how it evangelizes. Uh, this is what characterizes the mystery of the church. Because let's remember that the early church all read the scriptures in Greek. We didn't get a Latin translation of the scriptures until the fourth century. Slavic translations of the scriptures didn't happen until St. Cyril's and Methodius, uh, much later in, in church history. Um, that the vernacular going in from the Second Vatican Council from Latin to uh, English or Spanish or Vietnamese or Korean or Chinese or any of the languages that uh, the Latin uh, the Latin rite is is, uh, is expressed in still is the same mass wherever you go, and if you go back to Saint Justin Martyr or the Didache or Saint Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter eleven. You see the roots of the Mass, which is always about the mystery of the church. We start out by repenting of sin, purgation. We turn to the scriptures and we look for illumination. Then we celebrate the Eucharist, um, this sacramental experience of unification with the divine reality that is the Holy Trinity. So where are we with all of this? And so I'd like to pull this together with some of the ch about some of the challenges, especially challenges to the Second Vatican Council, which in some important way is a challenge um, to the entire reality of the mystery of the church. And so the mystery of the church, it's more than a building here at St. Mark. It's more than just the people gathered here. It's all of God's people. It is a heavenly reality. It's a reality in purgatory. It's a reality here in Oral Valley. Here's what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says about the, the church. The church finds her origin and fulfillment in the eternal plan of God. She was prepared for in the old covenant with the election of Israel, the sign of the future gathering of all the nations founded by the words and actions of Jesus Christ, fulfilled by his redeeming death and resurrection, the church has been manifested as the mystery of salvation by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. She will be perfected in the glory of heaven as the assembly of all the redeemed of the earth, a heavenly mystery present in time. And so when we look at the church, um, we, like the Hercule Perot, we see the reality before us, um, but there's just a bigger story about it rooted in God's eternal plan. And so what do you make of the Second Vatican Council? Was it a rupture with the past like the people at Concilium believed? Is it a continuation with the past like John Paul II and Pope Benedict um, uh, taught? Uh, or is it just a bad idea? And that's the Audovani branch of all this stuff. Because the people who talk about a rupture, well, there was something new in the Second Vatican Council, um, a clarification of things that went before. Um, but it's because there was something that went before that was um, re-articulated uh, for a modern world. Uh, but the people who think it was a bad idea, you know, the idea that not everything that we have done in the Catholic uh, faith since uh, 1965 has been a good idea. Some of it has been pretty screwy. And for those of us who lived through the great departure of priests and nuns in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, 
I think we understand that not everything has been great. Uh, so there we are. It's a mystery. Uh, but we can't reduce the church to simply the Democratic Party at prayer, which is what they used to knock it, the Catholics for, in the 70s and the 80s. And we're not the right wing of the Republican church. The politicization of uh, Catholicism, importing politics into our diocese, into our parish, this does a great disservice to the gospel because our mission is to proclaim Christ and we're accepted or rejected and we move on. We are not there to seize power. It is a great disservice to Christ to reduce the church to being just one more NGO, one more non-governmental organization. And so there you have my meditations, uh, at least as this week, as the church's mystery. The church has been a debating society from the beginning, beginning with the Council of Jerusalem and the Acts of the Apostles, at Nicaea, at Ephesus about marriage, Christotokos or Theotokos, uh, all the councils like Constance and Basil in the late Middle Ages that tried to reform the church. Everything about Trent, Vatican I, and Vatican II that's followed upon the heels of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, we are constantly reforming because it is a divine reality, but there's also a human reality like the incarnation of Christ, the divine present in the human. This is the sacrament of the church. This is who the church is. And so this has been Oro Valley Catholic, a somewhat authoritative Catholic voice of orthodoxy in Northwest Casa Grande and a few neighborhoods in Marana. Although a big shout out to my uh, listeners across the country uh, and in Europe and Japan, it's, it's interesting people tune into this podcast. I have no idea why they do it, but there you go. This is the power of the new evangelization of uh, using social media to proclaim Christ to the world. And so until next time, God bless you.